Hey there, this is Steve Davidson, your host for The Playful Musician, and you're listening to Vijay Venkatesh, pianist who lives down in um, Southern California in Pasadena with his wife, Eva, and he's just a fun, really cool guy. He's going to be doing um, a concert series with the Rogue Valley Symphony Orchestra here in Southern Oregon, performing in Medford and Ashland and Grants Pass, coming up in about a week. He uh, specializes in the music of Clara Schumann. He's going to be playing the Schumann Concerto, and we'll hear a little bit of that uh, about um, a third of the way through this interview. He talks a lot about his early upbringing and um, how he got into being a pianist, he talks about his um, studies at Indiana University and at University of Southern California. Talks a lot about some of his favorite composers, Brahms, Clara Schumann, uh, Mozart, uh, Brahms. I think I already said Brahms. <laughs> uh, a lot about preparation, how he prepares for uh, a big gig like this, or recitals, about competitions, lots of really great tools and tricks for combating nerves and just of how to approach music from a really really wonderful place i hope you enjoy my conversation with vijay venkatesh welcome to the playful musician i'm your host steve davidson each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. DJ, welcome to the Playful Musician. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. So you're you're in uh, Pasadena, is that right? I am. We just moved to Pasadena uh, in the beginning of the fall. Mm. So before that, in the pandemic, we were moving around from from Germany to to Laguna. We used <laughs> to live in LA, and then we okay. decided to just get out of LA when the pandemic started, and just oh, good uh, for you. We escaped to my wife's. Uh, family's place in Germany and also my place, uh, my parents' place in Laguna. But now that okay. we've settled down, we've moved back to Pasadena and settled mm. in teaching around in the LA area and also traveling for concerts that have finally yeah. now opened. <laughs> so we're so grateful. <laughs> sort <for that>. of. <laughs> How do you like Pasadena? Oh, we love it here. Mm. We're, we were surprised we didn't move here earlier. <laughs> it's uh, <clears throat> It's very clean. It's very mm -hmm. inspiring. It's just a lot of great restaurants. Everything is so close by, mm. like everything you could possibly need. There's like, yeah. there's just, there's a movie theater nearby, great restaurants, great shops, like everything you could possibly need is mm. like within a couple miles. So that's <laughs> awesome. Really convenient. Yeah. So you don't have to drive, you don't have to get on the freeways and deal with exactly. all the yeah, LA. especially being a California native, the yeah. one thing I absolutely hate is traffic. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in Laguna in South Orange okay. County. Yeah. And so I'm a California native. I grew up very close uh, to the beach and I'm really fortunate mm. yeah. <laughs> and grateful for that. Um, and yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, music always played a pivotal role in my life since the moment I could 
you know, walk and talk or yeah. conceive sound. And <laughs> <laughs> so music, it, it filled the, the sound of my home and, and really? influenced my upbringing in such a dramatic way. It would seem as if I were you know, destined, I guess, for a life in the arts. <laughs> yeah. So I'm the youngest of four siblings. They all okay. used to play the piano. And the baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm the baby. And my my brother, my sisters, they they would play the piano. I would crawl under the piano, listen to them play, and they were actually my first teachers. They would take lessons mm. and then and then come home and teach me what they had learned. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the age of like four or five, I started studying uh, under the the Suzuki method. Oh, uh, right. So many of my first performances were in elementary school talent shows. And my mm-hmm. first public performance was in was in 1996 in Sacramento for the Suzuki International Conference, and wow. I played the the Wild Rider by Schumann. Oh, and so it was the Suzuki. The Schumann method of story begins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. my life has centered around Schumann and Brahms and uh-huh. the Schumanns, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the Schumanns. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that performance? What do you remember about it? I do. I mean, I I remember I was sleeping in the first row. I was six. Or no, I think I was five. I hadn't turned six yet. I was five, and I was sleeping in the first row. And then I think my brother nudged me, and I realized it was my turn. And I walked up on stage, and I just started playing. (laughs) <laughs> of course at that age you're just yeah. you're in your own world you just do what you're told you're right. like oh i play the piano i guess i'll go play what i was practicing last week now mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's a very fun fun activity for you know childhood growing up and mm-hmm. over the over time over years it became you know part of my life part of my soul and became a passion yeah. so how valuable do you think that Suzuki training was? It you? was very helpful because the Suzuki method focuses on aural training. So it really trains mm-hmm. the ear. And, and I have to give credit to that for the reason why I have perfect pitch. So, you know, perfect pitch being, being able to just hear a note and know what it is. Being, know what it is, yeah. essentially. So. It has helped me so much when playing Bach and playing Mozart and just overall just music understanding, music theory. I was able mm-hmm. to <laughs> skip a lot of classes in, in high school and college <laughs> right. because of that. <laughs> I could just test out. I didn't have to do the classes. But yeah. it was it was very helpful in just understanding theory and understanding Bach's fugal writing and Mm. And any time you might have a memory slip, it's just it's just yeah. helpful. So I just I always contribute and uh, thank Suzuki Method for that for yeah. the wonderful training. Of course, yeah. every type of method has its has its downfalls. Also, it has its sure. Um, some things are are a little um, what would you say? They they don't have enough. They focus maybe too much on the aural training, and from that you actually don't learn how to read music until very, uh, very late. So I actually mm-hmm. couldn't read music until I was about ten or eleven years old, which is mm. quite late. I mean, yeah. I teach a lot of uh, kids now, and I'm also I'm also helping them to read music at now a very young age. So you know, five, yeah. six, seven, they can now read. Sure. Um, so there's there's drawbacks and there's positives and. Yeah. It was a great method for me, but sometimes it's not it's not the greatest thing for everyone. So mm-hmm. it, it just depends on um, how, how how involved your parents are, actually. Because it's, oh. it's a big thing about... The Suzuki method puts a great emphasis on the parents also influencing the artistry and the music building in the child. So my parents mm-hmm. were... They're not musicians, but mm-hmm. they love music. And my mom... If I were to pick an inspiration as a child, it would be my mom putting on the recordings of Dinu Lapati, the, the great mm. Romanian pianist. And mm-hmm. my mother would have his recordings on constantly. His tone was so rich and, and lush and gorgeous. Of course, yeah. I didn't understand it, but <laughs> it drew me into that sound world and I, I couldn't stop listening. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so she had a, a big record collection? 
She did. She did. You know? I mean, she would she would go online, search for, search the reviews of of the of the best recordings, and she would she would listen to them and educate herself, and and then inculcate that that mm. knowledge and and desire in me. So, she was yeah. very instrumental in my upbringing in music, and my dad paid the bills. <laughs> <laughs> and then where where did you do your undergraduate? So my undergrad I did at University of Southern California. So I did my okay. bachelor's at USC in LA. I did my master's at Indiana University mm -hmm. in Indiana. IU. And yeah, IU. And uh, now finishing up an artist diploma at the Colburn School where I also teach mm -hmm. as well. So it's 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 a really wonderful uh, I guess pedigree and that I was able to study with some of the really fantastic teachers throughout right. the last who, 10 years. Who was your primary teacher at USC? Uh, at USC, it was Norman Krieger, mm -hmm. who I also uh, studied with at IU because he left USC after over, you know, almost 20 years. Oh. So I followed him to IU, studied with him, studied with him there for two years, and now with Fabio Bedini at the Colbert School in LA. Okay. Was that a huge, like I use a massive, like was that a big, was it much bigger than USC? It's much bigger. <laughs> I mean, USC is pretty big, but IU, they call it the factory <laughs> because of how many people are yeah. there. There's, yeah. I think there's actually about a thousand students just in the music school, I would say. Yep. Something like a, over a hundred something pianists. And... But was that intimidating There's, for you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I, we're all there to enjoy music. We're all there to inspire each other. Yeah. I, hopefully there's nothing intimidating about going to music school. Of course, yeah. there's, there's always the stories about the East Coast schools being very yeah. cutthroat. But I, you know, it was a very stimulating and inspiring and encouraging environment. So it was really, it was really wonderful to... To study there. Nice. And did you? Uh, I don't want to say this. So, were you encouraged to enter a lot of competitions during uh, your um, studies? Yes. I mean, since I was sixteen, I was doing competitions, even on violin, which I played with when I was ten. So, competitions—they're—they're yeah. they're a necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> why why do you think life. they're necessary? <laughs> well, because they they build they build this uh goal of and skill of what you must prepare for to really be ready for let's say a prestigious concert or something. Like they mm -hmm. they help you set a goal to really really achieve a level and skill of you know, really getting something really prepared at a very high mm -hmm. level. Yeah. So it really forces you to to get ready, and especially performing on such a big stage, depending mm -hmm. on the competition. It really brings out the best in you. Or it can be <laughs> detrimental, which after you, if you do dozens and dozens of competitions, they can really mm, dissuade you, <laughs> I guess, yeah. from from the artist's life. Um, sure. But here and there, competitions are very good because they also provide, if you win, and even if you don't win, they provide a stepping stone towards meeting people in the administration of the arts, new conductors, um, mm -hmm. just your fellow colleagues as well. So it's just a good chance to travel, it's a good chance to also get used to performing and deciding if this is also something you want to do. A lot of people have also made careers, big careers, not doing competitions. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on how you want yeah. to decide what your life is going to be in the arts. Do you think that's changing with this upcoming generation because of like things like TikTok or absolutely yeah people are discovering things. that you can make you can be creative to how you build a career you can a lot of people have built a career just on on YouTube videos 
some have uh, developed a career just on Patreon and, and TikTok yeah. and, and just becoming influencing on, on Instagram and stuff. So yeah. people have been creative making very interesting videos and developing a following like just like that without ever doing competitions because sometimes competitions yeah. are just not what they, that's not their niche. They were never going to win and that's, you know, it's like trying to expect a fish to climb a tree. It's like, <laughs> sometimes they're not made for that and that's totally fine. And that's, yeah. that's, we don't need to fit every single cookie cutter mold that society dictates. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you found it valuable for you that doing those competitions and preparing. I found it valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I, I might have done like 50 over my life and I've probably won like 15. So 35 <laughs> losses will will definitely uh, strike uh, strike a little dagger. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it builds, hopefully you get stronger from it and whatever, mm. you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what is your relationship like to uh, rejection or what some people might call failure. I don't really think of it that way, but. Well, it's, you know, it's tough, but Mm -hmm. I think if you have your message in the music, you know, that's it. You're not in it to always please people. You you have, you can find your own niche. You can be creative. And I always think you will, people will find their way. There's always someone interested in what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always trying to imagine you know, if money was no object, how would I want to spend my life? And it's 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 an interesting thing when you finally think about it, mm-hmm. how short life is. And yeah, sometimes these rejections they can be tough, but life is much more than just getting someone's approval. Yeah. So yeah, of course it stings that day. <laughs> But yeah. I always try to keep myself busy <laughs> yeah. in the next week of activities of things to look forward to. Right. Tell me a little bit about your like your practicing and your preparation for like um like this upcoming concert where you're sure. getting ready to do a concerto. Like I know you played the Clara Schumann's concerto before. I have, yeah. But I have. It, um Maybe talk a little bit about preparation with a piece that you know like that, and then contrast it to maybe like a new, like a new work that you haven't played. Is it? Is sure. there much difference in the preparation there? There is absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so the Clara Schumann is something I've played for years, even before COVID. Um, it's a monster of a piece. <laughs> Clara Schumann was an incredible virtuoso. She mm-hmm. wrote this piece when she was fourteen. Uh, with and she premiered it with Felix Mendelssohn conducting the the oh, Wandhaus wow. Orchestra <laughs> in Germany, <laughs> and of course um, at that time she was meeting Robert Schumann. Robert Schumann helped her orchestrate the piece, mm-hmm. and it is just absolutely just mind blowing how a fourteen year old can write something that technically difficult mm-hmm. and yet emotionally mature. So it's a fantastic yeah. piece, and it took a number of months to really learn just from how sheer difficult it is. I mean, yeah. it's not played that much because of how insane yeah. <laughs> the piece is. Did you is. start with the the third movement? Isn't that what she wrote first was the third movement? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it has much the Polonaise-type feel of mm-hmm. this yum ba da dum bum 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 ba da bum bum much like um, Chopin wrote many pal- polonaises mm-hmm. of his of his time, and I mean, I of course I started with the first movement. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think okay. it was terribly difficult, uh, but after the second page, I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, of course. So something like that. After years and years of playing it, mm-hmm. it finally gets into the fingers. I'll be playing it here in Oregon. I'll be playing it in many um, cities uh, over the next over the next season and mm-hmm. beyond. So I mean, it's a great piece also because not many people play it. So it's a great niche to 
get my name out to orchestras yeah. that I haven't played with and are interested in are interested in programming a work by by Clara Schumann and of course in this day and age it's women and and people composers of of color are mm-hmm. are much more prominent and being programmed so it's great to know a piece like this um, yeah to be to be programmed so of course so when I warm up preparation. Mm-hmm. On a physical level, of course, piano playing is as demanding as sports. You know, I need to be as warmed up as possible before a performance, sure. and that includes palpating the hands, regular massages. So, mm-hmm. I mean, generally, I practice for for countless hours for a performance, mm-hmm. and sometimes repeat the program in many cities over the course of the yeah. season. And often, each city also requests different repertoire so Mm. it's a jenga game of of (laughs) devising a plan of you know what's the priority now while Mm -hmm. uh, simultaneously practicing other works on the back burner and mapping out how long you have to fine-tune every piece so it's like a puzzle (laughs) yeah at this point do you do you do you practice scales or mostly what you're doing just really diving into the works i mean scales are always great for a Mm warm-up i don't religiously do them every day i usually just dive in to the to the works um i do do some exercises like tausig exercises the brahms exercises the list exercises Mm -hmm. you always want to be warmed up and ready i mean you don't see usain bolt just (laughs) walking onto the track and running you know they're all warmed up so it's it's yeah. definitely part of the preparation. But yeah. but more than just um, the technical aspect of playing, I mean, practice is important for a musician, but besides locking oneself in a practice room, channeling life experiences into a piece of music is also paramount to mm. releasing its character. Mm-hmm. So I always seek to remember the moments that I felt so inspired either seeing mm. a you know a beautiful sunset enjoying a meaningful conversation with someone or hearing like a beautiful speech or a poem yeah. you know it all reappears in my playing so i mean working hard is very important but in addition i think it's relishing the moments of life that that touched my heart and the ability to compound them into art that changes others lives just as much mm. as as it has changed mine. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. (laughs) Here's VJ playing Clara Schumann's Concerto for piano and orchestra. This is the second movement, Andante non troppo con grazia.
you're approaching a piece for the first time that's with orchestra, for example, or even if it's just for solo piano, like, do you study it first or do you just read through it? Like, what's your process? So first, obviously, we have to order the music. <laughs> I always try to get <laughs> a hardcore copy. Um, while it's on its way, I might look at the one on IMSLP download it i always use my ipad now these days since 2019 i've been using my ipad for every single piece i play Mm. Um, because with my wife who's also pianist we have a duo we play a lot with the foot pedals and the ipad and all that stuff yeah Yeah. so we needed to move on to the 21st century and get some ipads and have all of our music there that's awesome um but yeah so a new piece of music I, i i get it take a look at it. I actually immediately start writing accidentals, which are the sharps and flats and and fingering. And actually, uh, I actually don't start at the piano first. Mm. I, I might just glance through it, see which are the most difficult parts, see how long it is, see what parts I want to tackle first. Mm -hmm. I really go through the piece and I map out. I actually write in a lot of, I just, you know, map mm-hmm. out the the dynamics the phrasing the if there's a you know all these hair the hair yeah. pins and hair pins, yeah. and all the all the markings markings on the score that might be lost when you're trying to sight read something because mm-hmm. in this day and age i don't have so much time to divulge to just uh seeing how it goes and <laughs> enjoying yeah. the piece i have to use every single midden as 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 well as I can, so yeah. everything is very much is focused, and I'm writing down fingering immediately because I'm trying to always build good habits right from the get go. Because mm. when you build bad habits, first you have to change the habit, mm-hmm. which takes a week, and then you have to take another week to build the new habit. So it's just I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> so yeah. everything has to be very much prepared, thought mm-hmm. out. I might listen to a recording if it's an existing piece just to go mm-hmm. through. But I'll definitely start working together hands separate, putting it slowly together, writing mm. a lot of things down. Um, How slow just, is that first run through for you? Slow. <laughs> As I said, I'm trying to build good habits here. I'm right. not trying to play too many wrong notes. Otherwise, you're building bad habits and then you have to take time to fix those bad habits. Yeah. So it's just... If I need to learn something fast, then I try to ju- use that approach. If mm. I know I have years on end to learn something, or if I'm playing it next year, next season, of course, I might uh, take a little more yeah. time. <laughs> sure, sure. But it's definitely well, good to have a plan. Right. Yeah. Do you analyze the... Uh, well, yeah, before I ask Absolutely. that question, do you... Do you uh, <laughs> when you're reading the score, can you... Can you hear it in your head? Can you hear the absolutely. music? Absolutely. I mean, especially yeah. if it's a piece of music that I already know yeah. that I've heard before. <laughs> absolutely. If it's not, I mean, I love working with new composers. Um, recently, I just recorded an entire album of the music of Lucas Richman, who's a fantastic mm. composer. I love his works. He's also conductor of the Bangor Symphony in Maine that mm. I'll be playing with next season. Really excited for that. Awesome. Also, probably the Clara Schumann, which will be <laughs> lots of fun. But his works are fantastic. It's it was a an album of entirely variations, mm. so variations on on original themes, variations <coughs> on. Uh, he wrote what what was called the reindeer variations. So he he wrote a theme for every single type of reindeer. Of course, it's a piece to be performed during the, the holiday season. So he was able to mm-hmm. capture the the different, I guess, energies and and uh, spirits of, of the different reindeers. You know, sounds awesome. Donner, Blitzen, Prancer, <laughs> <laughs> all those dancer. Um, he also wrote a, another wonderful piece uh, called the Umbrellafant Variations, kind of mm. very similar to Sessons Carnival of the Animals. Every single piece focuses on a different uh, different animal so right. that was also a really fun piece to work on so something like that sometimes uh, usually has an existing recording if it really does not have a recording at all then 
yes, you can hear some things in your head, but a lot of it just has to do with just getting down right. to the piano and just mapping it out. And sure. Of course, just starting to mm -hmm. read the score, make music. <laughs> and and I was what I was going to ask before that was, do you do you analyze the form and all that of the piece as well Absolutely. as you're doing that? Absolutely, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll analyze the harmonies, the different sections, how one interacts, how one transitions. It's definitely an important factor and tool, especially if you're going to memorize the piece. Right. It's very helpful to know the theory behind it. Yeah. So with the with the Schumann, with Clara's uh, concerto, what in your like that that first movement is. Would you call that like theme and variations or more sonata form or com combination of the two? I mean, I know she's, it's definitely like, feels like romantic it's, music it's to me. It's almost like a fantasy in a way. Oh, okay. Because it's so, it's so free and she's like improvising it on the spot. It's mm. not, of course, it's not as in depth as, you know, Brahms second concerto or something that's yeah. very deep. It's much more youthful. It's mm -hmm. much more show-offy. <laughs> of mm -hmm. course, she's 14 and she can <laughs> tear the instrument up. She's, she's displaying this pyrotechnic technique. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very, it's, it has a very much improvisatory start with these, with these octaves that are Actually, very characteristic of the Grieg concerto and also Robert Schumann's mm. concerto with these octaves mm. that begin, these cascading octaves in A minor, especially on the second page of when the when the piano enters. So it's just, the entire thing is actually, it's very much free. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't consider yeah, it's pretty it playful. too much abiding to a form. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, the, the second movement... It's very soloistic and very yeah. thin in terms of orchestration. It's just piano and cello. Right. And when the cello enters in the in the second half of the second movement, it's it has much similarities to the third movement of Brahms' second concerto. Mm -hmm. And of course, some people think Brahms helped her write it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Um, yeah, I mean, she could have. He he could have definitely because. Yeah. Of course, we all know that love triangle that ensued after that many many years later. Yeah. Um, which will be explored hopefully during the concert. <laughs> uh huh. And there, so Brahms is near and dear to your heart as well as absolutely Clara Schumann. Absolutely, I mean, Brahms. I love Brahms. Uh, I always turn to Brahms in bright and dark times. I mean, with mm -hmm. Brahms, everything passes through layers of reflection. So mm -hmm. I find him very companionable and mm -hmm. a very sympathetic composer. Mm -hmm. um, there's an enormous sadness in his work, yet it is sadness that glows with understanding. That, mm -hmm. that eases gloom by sharing its own. So at a time when an uncommonly large number of people are experiencing grief, I would, yeah. I would recommend Brahms as a counselor and, and, and confidant. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> what about, now, now Chopin plays, like he's involved with Clara Schumann also. Like there's this circle, their circles... I mean, they met, right? And she was like a champion of his, wasn't she? I of his works? So. Yeah, that, would, that would make sense. I don't actually remember reading that they met. But, of course, in that style, th th there were many overlaps in the romantic yeah. period of people writing ballads and rhapsodies and mm -hmm. polonaises and waltzes. Of course, they, you'll find impromptus of Chopin. You'll find impromptus of, of, of Clara Schumann, which right. I recorded one very... Also a very improvisatory, impromptu, of course, in E major. Lovely piece. Um, mm -hmm. But you'll find many overlaps and influences between all these composers. Mendelssohn, right. too. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful stuff.
Um, so you you touched on the pandemic, and uh, I used to start off my interviews the last year with talking about it, but I've tried to like move get away it later, <laughs> la- later in the show, so it's not like so. How's your pandemic? Um, but I'm I'm curious, like how um, how has the last almost two years uh, changed you, not only professionally but pers- personally? Maybe in a surprising ways. Well, when the pandemic first hit, of course, every artist was just devastated. Yeah. Like, you know, the rug is just pulled out. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're Yo-Yo Ma or you're, you know, John Smith. Every <laughs> Nobody's playing concerts. <laughs> you know. Right. So it, it's tough. Um, but we needed to be creative in how we kept up income. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, of course, everyone moved to live streams. We mm-hmm. contacted donors of ours. We contacted different organizations. Some concert series were going online. Some mm-hmm. folded, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Some just wanted to wait. So we played a number of live streams over the course of the year and a half. Um, we're still playing live streams, actually, um, coming up. And in addition to that, we actually expanded our our teaching so mm. we we taught online of course we moved all of our students online but we also a lot promoted a lot of our online teaching so we were able to meet people from all over the world from from india from uh mm. from paraguay from wow. canada and some people in in romania too so it was just, it's really wonderful. We now teach people in, in San Francisco and, and Denver and Michigan and some in Florida and all over California mm. now. So with the time changing, <laughs> we need to organize. Yeah. But it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to be able mm. to connect with so many people that we wouldn't have had this chance to meet yeah. if it had not been for everything to just really shut down and we had to just improvise and and really come up with a solution quick. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's also great that we now can continue this because online teaching and online performing has now become more mainstream and less taboo and people are accepting as part of life now. So, yeah. It's it's a great yeah. way to to continue this and it's also a great way to increase artist income. <laughs> And your reach, and your and your reach, exactly. your influence, yeah, absolutely. Did you do? You, did you do? You find it challenging? You do you Zoom? Is that I the use platform? Zoom, yeah, yeah. You Zoom, do Facetime. You fi- there's some others I've tried out. Yeah. yeah. Does it? Um, do you? Pl- what are the challenges and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are the? I mean, there seems like there's lag, so I'm not sure you're able to play with your students directly. No, we're not able to play, but uh, there are some other platforms that allow that, but you have to pay pay a lot of money. But the thing that really makes the difference is just being able to have a standard USB mic. It really Mm -hmm. makes a world of difference. (laughs) Um, Headphones is obviously great, Um, but just being really interested in, in, in taking advantage of the technology that we now have, it's not difficult. Really, mm-hmm. you just need to get a mic to make it really, right. to make Zoom work. Yeah. Yeah. So do your online students, do they send you a recording before they meet with you? Or is it mostly they show up and they play in the moment for you and then you're coaching them uh, virtually like that? Both. Both. Okay. They send videos ahead of time. They send videos after the lesson. During the lesson, they'll perform. It, it's it's actually become very simple and easy. It's mm. become like clockwork. Just we meet. We know what we're going to talk about. We play. I mean, I actually had to do a lot of performance performances myself uh, online. So I mm-hmm. really became knowledgeable of how to work <laughs> Zoom and how to work different live streams and work YouTube streaming and. Yeah. What made the best mic setup? In the beginning, it was terrible. We just used our <laughs> laptop, and it was just horrible. <laughs> yeah. But after after a few months, we got really good at it, and then so far, it's been it's been really wonderful. Sometimes, uh, so the students will will definitely run through the piece. Occasionally, there might be a hiccup, 
but it's just we accept it now and mm -hmm. we we just log back on and everything's totally fine right so covid was a life changing event can you think of any other big life changing events that shaped um, your your course oh yeah okay so i guess when i was 16 Mm -hmm. I had finished the final round of the Waring International Piano Competition, and I was able to talk with all the judges, including particularly Mark Durand. And mm -hmm. he's, he's, he teaches in Canada, in Montreal. And he discussed the Polonaise by Chopin, the F-sharp minor, Opus 44, which I had played. And... He expressed that the Mazurka section in the middle, I had played it, it was like magic. Like he used those words. Oh, and wow. that was a turning point for me as a 16-year-old. And, you know, I had finally achieved what I had, you know, sought to do as a teenager. And that was to transport a person to a, to a whole other world. And so mm. it made me realize, you know, music... It brings us together. It, yeah. it brings us together in good times, but especially in bad times. It's it's one of the first things that people do when they grieve, when there's yeah. war, when there's atrocities. They they come together and they sing, and mm. it's a cathartic cathartic uh, experience. Yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> what you mean. And it's therapy for the soul. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that we can still use technology to bring some peace, you know, kind of break from all the madness of current events. And we share this collective experience, a uh, form mm. of music, maybe not in the same room, but the same screen. And it's yeah. still a form of connection. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so you and, and your, your wife have a, a group together. We do. Tell me your wife's name. I'm sorry. I wrote it Her down. Name is Ava. Ava. EVA. Right. Yeah. EVA. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have a so group. That's a, we do. It's called the VNS. V-I-E-N-E-S-S, -S, VNS Piano Duo. Mm. The name comes from V and S. So my last name is Venkatesh oh. with a V, and hers is Shamkel with an S, so it's V and S. It's nice. like M&M, VNS. We just took it from that. <laughs> nice. um, so we started, um, we, were, we had been dating for like back in 2017, mm -hmm. and we started to play together professionally. And mm. in that time, we had just been like sight reading duet music together, and we realized how fulfilling it was to play together. And we decided mm. to make our first recordings of two piano music at IU, and mm -hmm. it was a big hit with presenters and attracted attention for engagements. And so we decided to expand our repertoire and establish a media and website presence. So awesome! I mean, we realized piano duo. Is a, is a great musical niche to tap mm -hmm. into with really extraordinary repertoire to perform. And we tripled the, the number of concerts we were booking. And mm. having grown up in, in Southern California and being able to establish a, a major concert pre presence over my life, I've been able to like amass contacts and we were able to intru introduce this duo to them. And... Of course, we still perform solo engagements and chamber musics, uh, chamber music with larger ensembles. But yeah. VNS is, is something we're really excited to keep up for life. And as an extra bonus, we get to travel together, which is yeah. really great for our marriage. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Do you. you always play at the same piano or are there instances where you each play your own piano? Oh, absolutely. We do both. We do a lot of forehand concerts and we do a lot of two piano concerts. Each has okay. its own unique elements. Of mm -hmm. course, in forehands, there's, there's less room on the bench and each person only gets half the keyboard. So it right. can be very constricting. Yeah. But it's very intimate and mm -hmm. the chemistry of collaboration is much more palpable. Yeah. And one, one person also controls the pedal, so there needs to be extensive discussion and <laughs> you need to practice pedaling for the other person you know it's like oh wow it's like driving a car will while you're controlling the steering wheel and someone else is doing the gas right so <laughs> it's, it's that's tricky like that. <laughs> yeah so 
that's definitely something to practice. Um, right. And with two pianos, there's much more freedom and space, mm-hmm. and of course, definitely a larger scope of sound. Yeah. And however, each pianist is farther away, which makes it more difficult to communicate than four hands. But yeah. we also, we absolutely love both types of ensemble playing. Mm-hmm. And it's really fulfilling to be able to devise programs for each, depending on the size of the venue. Yeah. So uh, we just got back from, we started this this new year in San Luis Obispo, the Paso Robles area, uh, area in mm-hmm. Central California, where we started with a four-hand concert and did some outreach for, the, for over 100 kids in the schools the following day. And we'll be doing a lot of concerts uh, throughout the country in California, Washington, uh, Sarasota, Florida. We're going to be doing a two-piano concert. Uh, we do, we've done uh, two two-piano concerts in New Jersey in Ocean Grove at the Ocean Grove Auditorium. It's a wonderful 5,000-seat auditorium. Mm. And we have a lot of fun stuff coming up in Colorado and, and Washington, D.C. And it's just we we're really, really looking forward. We're glad concerts are back. We just finished yeah. a tour of the Midwest in november awesome so that was a lot of fun 10 concerts in in like a week and a half so that was fun yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. when you're well there's really fun there's a recording uh i saw a video of you guys doing piazzola and uh, that was really almost at every concert (laughs) that's a lot of fun (laughs) yeah how do you decide who sits on the right and who sits on the left when it's the four hands we we split it up evenly we yeah. try to split it, split it up. Um, it depends on the on the repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not really. We, of course, we know each other's parts very well. We could play them. Yeah. We could play both parts, but we'll split it up depending on on the program, and depending on who we we kind of split it up evenly. We want to make sure each person is on top just yeah. as much. So, especially the audience can see both both of us. Yeah interchangeably we also like to have different cameras uh Mm -hmm. to broadcast just the fingers so people all over the stage can see the ensemble playing going on so it's a lot of fun to watch so we always try to have a camera in the back that's being displayed above yeah are there any pieces where the person sitting on the left would actually reach over absolutely we do do that (laughs) We actually did that a lot in our holiday programs in November and December yeah. because we actually transcribed a lot of works ourselves. Uh, mm. The Tchaikovsky Nutcracker, Sleigh Ride, uh, Hava Nagila, um, oh, fun. Carol the Bells, Shostakovich Waltz Number 2, and, and just a lot of fun, fun mm-hmm. works. The the Barber of Seville by Rossini. Yeah. Of course, we played much many of the Hungarian dances, which are originally for um, forehands and yeah our souvenirs and all that fun stuff but uh a lot of <laughs> a lot of our fun comes in making humor and and maybe a little comedy in, mm. in some of the fun works that are holiday and, and theme derived yeah <laughs> so it's a it's a lot of fun for audiences to get out and watch a forehand two piano concert yeah that's really that's really awesome that you guys have that for each other and also yeah. it's such a unique it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a great experience. niche. It's a lot of people love to program uh, a duo and it's it's of course it's something that we're really excited to c- continue on doing for this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> this is VJ and his wife Eva, their group VNS playing Saint-Saëns Aquarium from The Carnival of the Animals.
what projects do you have uh, recording? Or I know you've got a lot of touring coming up, but any recordings or any major symphony um, presentations coming up this year for you? Yeah. So after the Clara Schumann, I'm playing the Gershwin Concerto at the Sigastrome, which is going to be a highlight of the year because the Sigastrome is a beautiful, very large hall near my parents' house that I used mm. to go almost every month when I was a kid. And I'll be making my debut there in February. Mm. So it'll be a very special occasion. And um, Will your in, parents in, go? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be there a few hours early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in March, I'm playing the Sessons Concerto with the Columbus Symphony and a lot of a lot of fun things fun things coming up. Um, recently, I just recorded an entire album of Mozart that will be released on Naxos, and this mm -hmm. wonderful recording of works by Lucas Richman, which I'm really excited. And for that, we also did video recording, so that will be released this year. Everything will be coming out on Naxos this year, so we're really excited. <laughs> what what uh, what's on the Mozart CD? Or recording, oh, I guess. so the Mozart <laughs> is actually very interesting. It comprises of many works that he wrote as a very young child and also works that are unfinished that he either forgot to... Either he lost the work and then it was found or he, he passed away. Um, and then it also includes the wonderful staples, uh, the D major sonata, other mm -hmm. works that are not frequently performed, but are really just hidden gems that are that haven't been recorded on the Naxos label. Because mm -hmm. something that Naxos really loves to do is record every single ex work that ever exists. <laughs> so this <laughs> was my ambitious. assignment, <laughs> was to record some of these Mozart works that have never been recorded. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of, it's an honor and also intimidating. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But it's gonna. It, it came out very well, so I'm really excited to release it. That's and that's coming out this year. Yes. Okay. Something to look forward to. Yeah, I'll definitely um, send out a notice when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep an eye out. Um, what is Brahms your favorite composer? Do you have a favorite? Oh, I mean my. My favorite composer changes on a weekly, <laughs> if not daily basis. <laughs> sure, fair. I mean, whatever I'm playing at the moment, I'm really divulging my soul to, my mm. DNA, I guess you could call it. Um, yeah. I mean, I love the works of Chopin, Brahms, Gershwin, Shostakovich, mm -hmm. Rachmaninoff, Bach, yeah. Schumann, Mozart. I mean, it's just... How can you, how can you choose? <laughs> it's like right. going to Rembrandt and Picasso and Monet and being like, sure. which one do you like? <laughs> right. <laughs> Most. <laughs> it's like each one offers an entirely different world. There might be completely yeah. different sides of the spectrum, but they offer so much to the humanity. So mm. it's just, it was really an honor to be able to live in a time when these composers were able to share this extraordinary music yeah who's the hardest for piano Who, which composer Ooh. to play i mean rachmaninoff is is generally agreed upon as extremely difficult yeah mozart is deceivingly difficult <laughs> i mean well, you didn't say list <laughs> <laughs> of course well yeah i mean that's a given <laughs> clara schumann concerto yeah um, yeah I mean, every composer has works that are much easier than others. Mm -hmm. Some are extraordinarily difficult. Some are sight-readable. So yeah. it's just, you know, yeah. every, every composer has something for everyone. <laughs> right, right. Do you remember the first recording you ever bought? I don't remember the first recording I ever bought, but I do remember a recording that I actually did not want to go to school. And that was the recording of Sviatoslav uh, Richter playing Rachmaninoff's second concerto with the Warsaw Philharmonic. 
Mm. I actually didn't go to school that day. I just, <laughs> I told my mom, I'm not going to school. I'm just going to listen to this recording all day long. And that's what I did when I first heard it. <laughs> well, that was a valuable education, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a fantastic um, recording. It's my favorite recording of the piece. Um, it's just, it's incredible what, I mean, he's, he, him and Rachmaninoff are just a wonderful match. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What's the worst gig you've ever played? <laughs> worst gig I've ever played? You don't have to give any names, but if you can think of like the worst, <laughs> I'm just curious what the worst gig you had was. Um, if you have one, maybe you don't. What's the worst gig? I mean, there are always going to be... I guess there was this restaurant. For some reason, there was this event, gala, I don't know, whatever you could call it. It was in the restaurant, and the piano was pretty defunct. Oh, no. And they didn't, and they didn't realize it. And I was supposed to perform, like, Chopin and Liszt on it. And some of the keys didn't come back up. Oh, no. <laughs> so that definitely... <laughs> was traumatizing oh I bet. and it was a pretty serious event and i was very surprised that they just assumed the restaurant would have an okay piano and it was just madness <laughs> it was just turmoil right <laughs> these are my sort of rapid rapid questions so um good do you like are you coffee coffee or tea which do you like i'm neither 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 okay. surprisingly I do not drink coffee or tea. My wife rolls her eyes because she loves coffee and tea. <laughs> um, but I mean, if I had to choose one, the problem is I just put a massive amounts of sugar in it. It just ruins it because I just, <laughs> I like sweet drinks. Okay. So. Got it. <laughs> I'm more of a cocktail type person. Oh, okay. What's your favorite cocktail? A mojito. Mojito. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we just, nice. we just came back from the Caribbean. Over, oh, over, where? We spent a, a week in the Caribbean. We went to Puerto Rico. We went to Granada. We went to St. Vincent and the Grenadines. We went to Barbados and St. Lucia. Mm. It was so wonderful. I didn't want to come home. Nice beaches. <laughs> Unbelievably clean and green water. It's, it's just oh. so beautiful. And it was, our, it was our honeymoon. So we went oh, on, a congratulations. Cruise, on a cruise through the Caribbean. Thankfully, did not catch COVID, ah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're all safe and sound. Cool. What are your uh, essentials when you sit down to practice? Like, what are the essential things you must have when you sit down for practicing? Ooh. Well, I mean, I always practice now with my iPad, so it needs to be charged. Mm -hmm. So I have to have a charger, <laughs> my Apple Pencil. <laughs> but most of all, mm -hmm. I need to conjure some sort of inspiration of I'm going to focus and determination of what I'm going to achieve for this practice uh, practice session and set a, a plan for what I want to achieve here and what I want to over the next few days what I'm what sections I'm going to work on uh, I always try to make sure I record myself when I'm practicing because mm. I'm always trying to really practice with intention and have a very i guess you could call it quality over quantity mm -hmm. you know if i'm there if i only have three hours i'm going to make those three hours the best if i don't have since i don't sometimes i don't have six seven hours that i had 10 years ago yeah so <laughs> just try to absolutely focus as much as i can put the phone away mm -hmm. really just center in on this meditative quality of practice <laughs> mm. How soon do you listen back to the recordings that you make when you're practicing? Oh, immediately. Immediately. Yep. I record maybe like a minute, two minutes worth, maybe a page, immediately listen back. Sometimes one bar, sometimes one line, one mm. system. Um, so very detailed and concentrated practice. Um, I'm always trying to build, as I said before, great habits mm -hmm. and try to always not just get lost and just, you know, professionally practice, but really yeah. concentrate. Will you run through an entire uh, show, for lack of a better word? Will you, like, say, okay, I'm going to play the entire recital 
with non nonstop like and and if you do that, how many times do you do it before you do the recital? Quite a number of times. I mean, well, the thing is, every time you play a piece, you get up, you bow, you go off stage. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think I I go to, like to the whole piece, the whole program. I'll definitely yeah. do the entire piece. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a competition, then yes, I will do the entire program because you usually don't usually you don't walk off stage in a competition. But for concerts, you walk off stage, take mm-hmm. a breather, take a sip yeah. of water, that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, Probably two weeks before every day, I'll do a run through mm-hmm. of every piece in record right. it because it is so different when you're just practicing, and nobody's listening to you, <laughs> and when you feel like someone's listening to you, it's a completely different feeling. And so, yeah. part of playing a concert is being able to get to that feeling where. I mean, nerves are always going to be a part of what we do, but the thing is to be familiar with them. Mm. So it's not about getting rid of them. It's the ability to say, okay, feeling nervous, but my playing will be affected, but maybe not in a way that I haven't dealt with before. Mm. So you want to know your enemy. So there are no surprises. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, do you, do you still get nervous? Of course. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> of course. Um, okay. Being nervous is just the ability, it's just the wanting to do well. Yeah. Uh, if you were not nervous, then, then you didn't care. <laughs> mm. So I always try to remember that I'm playing for that audience, trying to figure yeah. out what the composer wants maybe a personal process, but ultimately you want to share this with the listeners and invite their involvement in my interpretation. Because the one thing I must not do is say, you know, this is none of your business. I'm going to play in my own cubicle and you just happen to be there. (laughs) You know, it's, you have to communicate to the audience saying, listen, this is what I feel about this piece. And if you can do that, despite the nerves, then you have succeeded. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Uh, well, thank you for being on the show. I mean, this was. I think this is a good. This is a good uh, stopping point. I appreciate you taking the time and. It's my pleasure. Um, looking forward, forward to the to concert. Coming to Oregon. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been really warm this week. I don't know that it's going to continue, but it was like sixty oh, really? degrees yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy warm. So. Um, Uh, where can people find out more about you if they want to well if you google my name I should be the only person for like the first 10 (laughs) pages of google (laughs) but uh, my website is vj-vankatesh.com I also have a youtube channel on instagram I'm on facebook definitely I'm very active so you'll be able to follow what I'm doing almost every day so (laughs) please check it out Great. Well, thanks again, VJ, for of being course. here. I appreciate it. And uh, my pleasure. Look forward to meeting you. Thank you. Hey, this is Steve Davidson again, your host. Thanks for listening to my conversation with VJ. And if you're in the Rogue Valley, if you're in Southern Oregon, Northern California, come check out his concerts. He's going to be playing with the Rogue Valley Symphony on. January 21st in Ashland, Oregon, January 22nd in Medford, Oregon, and the 23rd in Grants Pass. Should be a really fun series of concerts. Also check out our website, theplayfulmusician.com. You can see show notes and listen to all past episodes there. And leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me what you thought about this conversation and what you enjoyed most about it. I'd love to hear how much you enjoyed it we got a great lineup for 2022 shaping up. I'm super excited about this coming season, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. And I look forward to all the stories that are coming your way and bringing these artists to you. All right, take good care, and we'll see you real soon.